Last Saturday, we were considering the characteristics of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom living in this world, in this life, in the present culture that we find ourselves in. And this morning, we're going to turn inward. We're going to examine what those same citizens are called to live within the community of the saints. So I want to encourage you, if you've got a Bible, flip over to Philippians chapter 2. While you're doing that, let's pray. Lord, we need more of you. It's easy for us to find our pursuits in the things of this world. It's easy for us to find that we continue to place ourselves as the most important thing. So forgive us and give us more of you. Help us to find our delight and joy in you. Help us to look and find the hope of salvation again and again in you instead of in the false fleeting things of this world. Lord, as we humble ourselves, as we find more of you, we will find that you change us that we begin to manifest your character, your traits, that you unite different people together because we rally around the good news of the gospel. We rally around the hope of salvation in you. Help us to be citizens of the kingdom, united together as one body, right here, right now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter two, we're gonna be looking at verses one through 11. And I wanna encourage you this morning to seek the Lord in all things so that we would be unified. Seek the Lord in all things so that we, his church, would be unified. So Philippians chapter two, verses one through 11, we read these words. So... If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We got a lot to cover here, so I'm just jumping in here. And we're going to actually start with the back end of this passage, this part that talks about Christ emptying himself, coming to us as a servant church. We need to remember that. We need to remember Christ's humble service. 
Jesus Christ came in humility to serve. That's incredible. Because Jesus is fully God. I mean, that's how John starts his gospel. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. I always joke around that John does not know how to write a gospel because he tells you the end of the gospel in the very first verse. Jesus is God, fully God. And that means he has all sovereign authority in the universe. He is king of all of it. And yet we read that he isn't just the one who was the word who spoke all things into existence, but Colossians tells us that he sustains all things. The reality is the, the, the plastic and the metal and the, the cloth that, that holds those materials together, that makes the seat that you are sitting in, and the fact that your butt isn't crashing to the floor right now is because Jesus is sustaining that material. And you, by the way. You exist because he is allowing you to exist. This is the one who comes and humbles himself. The I am, the all-powerful one. The one who has every right to manipulate all things to his will, to do whatever he pleases. Yet we read he empties himself, taking on the form of a servant. Have you ever pondered that reality? That God condescends down to you. He doesn't come as a regal king, right? Like he could have, it's, it's, it's crazy enough to consider the fact he could have come as king of the world, right? That's, that's, that's rightfully his, he could do that, but instead he comes as a humble servant. It's, it's, It's crazy when you think about it. The incarnation of Jesus is the antithetical response to the human's natural inclination. We want to rule. We want to be over. We want to have domination and authority over all things. But Jesus comes and says, lowly, humbly. That's what we do as humans. We want our way. We want our desires. We want our will over other people's. We maneuver for position. You might be thinking, not me, pastor. I'm an introvert. I just hide in the corner. Yes, even you. Because you put your desire to want to step back, live in your own place, do your own thing quietly apart from everybody else. That's still your desires, still what you want. And you're putting it over the needs of other people, maybe even needs of people in this church. As we talked about a little bit, as we were welcoming new members, we need you. And you need us. You might do it quietly compared to the extrovert, but you still seek your will, your desires your passions over others. However, we see Jesus, the one with all power and authority, the one who has every right to do all that he pleases, serving, giving up his right, sacrificing. 
you have to understand that this is not some sort of shocking thing, revelation that God the Father says to, to God the Son at, you know, depending on when you place it, but just to put it simply, 3 BC, you're going to go to earth. Before the foundation of the world was ever established, before the dust was gathered up to form humanity, before the fall, before you were born, Christ willfully chooses to humble himself to come as a servant for you. He comes humbly. He comes obedient. And he comes to serve, taking your place to receive the wrath you deserve for your sinful rebellion, the punishment you deserve for your rebellion This is why every knee will bow. This is why every tongue will confess that he is Lord. This humble service is an example for us. Jesus doesn't come from a position of dominance. He willfully chooses. That's what it means to humble yourself. It says here, that he didn't count equality with God something to grasp. I don't really like the word grasp there because when we think of grasp, we think of like holding on to something. But, but what's really being conveyed there is more this idea of using power, using authority to manipulate or to put yourself in a better position. The only example I could think of right now is when you were a kid, you had that kid that were your friends with, or maybe it was you, where like as kids were arguing back and forth, you'd be like, well, my dad is a police officer and he's going to arrest you. Like that wins the argument, which then of course there was always that other kid who was like, well, my dad's a lawyer and he will sue your dad for, right? Like what you're doing is you're trying to manipulate your family ties to get power over the other person, right? And I'm just like, this is what we still do today. Do you know who I am? Do you know what family I come from? You know what position I have? It's interesting that we see Jesus do the complete opposite. There are multiple times people want to make Jesus king. They want to put a crown on his head and he says no. He stands before Pilate who is supposed to be this forebearer, if you will, of the power and the might of Rome in the region. And he stands there quietly. The arms that stretch out his own holding him to a cross, nailing him there. He spoke into existence and he allows them to do this. This is the same man who the night before with a single word causes everybody to fall to the ground before him. You want to see humility? Look at that picture. They come to arrest him. He speaks a word. They all fall to the ground They have to understand this guy has power that we don't understand. And the next thing he does is he puts out his arms to be shackled and led away. That's humility. That's what we see in Jesus. We see the God man humbling himself. He's not being humiliated. He's willfully humbling himself. And when we grasp that, when we think about that, when we ponder the reality of what he did for us, and we receive that grace, we receive the reward through that humility that he willfully chose to do, we're changed. 
We should adopt that demeanor. That's what Paul is saying here. Look at that example. Be changed by this. This is what we talked about last week in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. If the center of the gospel of Christ is the God-man humbling himself, seeking to come to serve, not to be served, but to serve, surely your manner of life lived in a way that shows worth and adorns the gospel should show that same demeanor, that same character. So, or therefore, verse 1, if there's any encouragement in Christ, I love that. If, like, it's almost like if there's, if there's, if anything good could come from Christ, which the people reading this, the Philippians would have been like, there, of course there's encouragement in Christ. We can go on and on and on and on about all the things that we have in Christ. He says, so if there's anything that's encouraging in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Look at what Christ has done. If there's any encouragement of Christ, if there's any love, if there's any, if there's any, if there's any, do these things. Therefore, church, let us be of the same mind. Let us be unified. Let us be of the same mind. Let us be unified. What Paul is trying to say is rally around this truth. Rally around the advancement of the gospel. Rally around the supremacy of Christ in all things. Because there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. If there's one, 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 how can we not be unified around that one? Paul writes this letter and he is fully aware that there's pressure out there, right? We, we live in a world that, that's against what we are about. They're not for the gospel. They're for themselves. And, and there's going to be pressure from the outside, pushing in, pushing in, pushing in. And it's going to build tension and, and division. And there's going to be us and them kind of mentalities. But Paul is also aware of something else that's true of the Philippian church. It's also true of this church here. It's also true of every church. What's Paul aware of? That every church is made up of sinners. And if every church is made up of sinners, being unified is going to be a challenge. It's going to be a battle. Because all of us have desires. All of us have preferences. All of us have things that that we like or don't like. And so we're going to fight for those things. Even good things, right? Like in the church, there's going to be people who say, this ministry should be the, 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 the pinnacle. This is what we need to focus on. And someone else is going to say, no, that ministry should be the focus. And, and someone's going to say, we should have music that's this way. Or music should be that way. Or sermons should be longer. Because we all want longer sermons. And sermons should be shorter. No one says that. right? But like, <laughs> some pastors should wear ties. Like I said, some pastors, not this pastor. Right? Like... We all have preferences. We all have things that say, I want my way. And Paul is saying to the church, he's not talking about people out there. He's saying in here, be of one mind, literally of one soul. Have the same love. 
that love of Christ that, that, that you receive from him, may it manifest out of your own life. Be in full accord. Agree. Agree about what you are about. We as a church have, have agreed to, to certain things and we're going to be about those things. I'm not saying that certain things aren't good things or they're evil. We're just saying this is where our focus is. This is what we're about. We're going to have preferences. We're going to have different tastes. But Paul is trying to say, and what I hope to convey as your pastor through my tenure here, is that our first preference must be that Christ is glorified. Our first love should be Jesus, not our own desires. Can we rally around that? Can we, Midland, EV free, be of one accord on that? Paul is trying to help the church unify. He's trying to get them to coalesce, to coalesce around a dynamic. And by dynamic, I mean moving in a direction. He wants them to coalesce around a dynamic, ferocious purpose. And the truth is, you're not at the center of it. He is. That's the only way we're going to have this one mind, this one spirit. That's how we're going to gather around and be one. So I say to you, Midland Free, make my joy complete. Be unified in the pursuit of the gospel. Be unified in in the pursuit of making much of Christ that that he would be glorified in all that we do. His name would be lifted high and exalted above all things, above even our own preferences, above our own tastes. I pray that the question that would be echoed in the halls would not have me, and by me, I don't mean just me, I mean me, meaning you. I pray that the question that's echoed in the halls of this church, in the small churches, in our community groups, in in our conversations with brothers and sisters in the faith, that those questions would not have me at the center, but instead would say, what's best for the church? What glorifies God the most? That's what I want to be about. Because when we start asking questions that put Christ at the center, it demands, it demands that you become the humble servant. How do we cultivate that mentality? How do we have the same mind? How do we put the betterment of the church before our own desires? We do it by meditating on Christ. Thinking again and again and again of who Jesus is. You never outgrow the gospel. There's always more to mine there. There's always a truth you forget. You also pray, not my will be done, but yours. If we start thinking that way, if we start diving into the scriptures, if we start praying these things, you will find that your life will change. Beloved. A redeemed gathering of the saints. That's what a church is. The gathering of the saints that have been redeemed. We are about mutual care and humility. 
Christians are about mutual care and humility. Look here at verse three, what Paul writes here. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul is saying, do what Jesus did, surrender your right. Cast off pride. I wanna be clear here. Having ambition is not a bad thing. Selfish ambition is. It's not a bad thing to say, I want great things for the people and for the church here. I want great things for the kingdom of God to advance in the nations and to the lost and among people who've never heard it. Those are not bad ambitions. We should have those ambitions. The problem arises when we want great things to happen It's really because we want people to kind of pat us on the back and say, we would have never been able to do it without you. This church could have never done that if it wasn't for you. If that's why you want great things to happen, that is the wrong reason. Because conceit and egoism has no place in the church. It's it's hard It's hard to have Christ as preeminent in your life. It's hard to have him reign over all things. It's hard to have Jesus sitting on the throne of your heart, of your life, when you are already on the throne. We have to cast those things aside. Selfish ambition, conceit, egoism, those aren't characteristics of the gospel. Those are characteristics of the world. Someone once said, the true obstacle to unity is not the presence of legitimate differences of opinion, but of self-centeredness. The true obstacle to unity is not the presence of legitimate differences. We're going to have differences. We're going to like different things. We're going to have different opinions. He says the true obstacle is self-centeredness. You're not willing to lay aside your differences. You're not willing to compromise. Humility is the key to unlocking unity of the body. First Peter chapter five, verse five, we read these words. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace the humble. And I'm talking true humility. This term I made up, feel free to use it. I call it Facebook humility. I know Facebook's old. I may need to update it to Instagram humility or whatever the new thing is now. But do you remember, or have you seen this online where someone says like, oh, no one likes me. I'm terrible. I'm no good at things. Everybody thinks I'm ugly. And the reason they're actually posting it online is because everybody else will respond like, no, you're beautiful. And you're the smartest person I know. And, you know, you're great. Like, it's false humility. That's not what we're seeking after. We want true humility. True humility isn't self-effacing. It just realizes that we're created beings. We're dependent. I need you. You need me. I need God. I can't do this alone. That's true humility. Be humble. Blaise Pascal. You might know him as a mathematician, but he was also a philosopher. 
And he said this, what amazes me most is to see that everyone is not amazed at their weakness. You need other people. You have weaknesses. Don't pretend like you don't. But instead, humbly come to other people. Why? Because we need humility. Look at what humility does. Verse four, look each, excuse me, verse four. uh, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Humility is needed because if we aren't humble, we won't look to the interests of others. And actually, the word interest isn't in the original Greek there. It just says, you won't think of your own, fill in the blank. There's nothing there. Your own finances, your own care, your own comfort, your own needs. Don't, whatever, fill in the blank. Don't just think of your own, but also think of others. Fill in the blank. You need humility to be able to do that. Paul was an example of that. In 1 Corinthians 10, 33, Paul writes, I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let's be imitators of Paul as he's being an imitator of Christ. He is modeling the humility that he observed, that he heard that he read about of Jesus, that Jesus was changing him to be humble, that he put himself last. Look around for a moment. Look around. Look at these people who are sitting with you. It's okay. Don't stare at them. Just look at them. (laughs) These people are not your rival. They're not against you. These people are gracious gifts given to you. You serve them, they're here to serve you. And as we do this, we grow together. If we are faithful, your needs will be met. But not because you come with a dominating spirit or attitude, not because you're trying to manipulate your authority and power, but because you come lowly. And as you serve, other people serve you. You find that, that, I don't know why it is, it's just how God works. When I give, he just gives back. When I give him my time, and I find like I have more time. There were times I, I, where, where, where our family, we, we saw a need of someone and, and we looked and we're like, this is going to be hard, but we want to serve. And then at another time, someone returned that to us. Let's serve one another. Let's seek to outdo one another in love and compassion and kindness and goodness. How do we do that? How do we eradicate selfish ambition? How do we grow in living in a way where we are seeking to put your desires above our own desires? How do we do this? How do we grow in humility? How are we uniting ourselves? How do we grow in unity? One of my favorite authors is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He has this little book called Life Together. And I'm trying to remember. I think I saw it in the library. So rush out, grab it, because I think there's only one. So push and shove, ignore everything else I've already said in the sermon to get, no. I'll do one another. Like, I got it here first. I took it off the shelf for you. Here you go. 
He gives these seven principles, and I, and I think they're great. Let us grow in these principles that Bonhoeffer gives in that book. He says, hold your tongue. Refuse to speak an unkind, uncharitable word about a brother or a sister, and honestly, about anybody. It's so easy to just keep your mouth shut. Two, he says, cultivate a, to, to, to cultivate humility by understanding that you are the greatest of sinners. You need just as much forgiveness. You need just as much grace as anybody else. Listen well. Listen long and patiently. Because then you can actually understand what the other person's needs are. Four, don't value your time so highly that you can't be interrupted to help others. Let's be honest here. People don't have needs at convenient times. They will call you at two in the morning because that's when they're sick. That's when they need to go to the hospital. They will phone you or that someone will stop by at your house when you're about to to leave you you need to go get groceries and they they pulled up because something's going on and they need to talk to you guess what your groceries should wait because they need you number five if we want to grow in mutual care and humility we must bear others burdens and forgive sins And I want to point out, bear others' burdens and forgive sins even means when they're the burden in your life or when they have sinned against you. Six, declare biblical truths. This might seem obvious, but I have seen so often people share their opinion rather than biblical truth. People don't need your opinion. They need the truth. Also, when I say declare biblical truths, let's not manipulate the Bible, right? Let's not find the one verse that is all about the thing that you want and just keep hammering people with that single verse when the rest of the Bible is really emphasizing something else. Finally, he says this, Christian authority is characterized by service, not by seeking attention. If you really want to lead, if you really want to be first, don't forget Jesus' words. I came to serve, not to be served. The first is the last, and the last is the first. I also came across this bit of advice that's really simple, super simple. You might even think it's stupid but I think it will help us live out these seven principles that that, that Bonhoeffer's talking about, also the principles that Paul's writing about here in in chapter one and chapter two. It's this, Just, just pretend to be Jesus. Right, it's so simple. Just, just pretend to be Jesus. Just pretend to act like Jesus. When a situation arises, think, how would he respond to this circumstance? What would Jesus want accomplished here? What would be the focus and the desire of his heart in this circumstance, in this situation right now? Just pretend to be like Jesus. And you might find you actually start to behave like him. So I say to us all, let our lives be marked by giving 
rather than getting. Service over being served. Faithful obedience over domination. Christ's life was marked by those things. And if your life was marked by those things, that's not a bad thing. It's not bad if someone's like, you look a lot like Jesus. That's a compliment. Let us be of the same mind. Let us have unity. Let us care for one another. Let us seek humility. And verse five, it says here, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ. If we want to be about these things, they're only found in Christ. We need to go to him again and again. We need to set our eyes on him, right? Too often we're looking at ourselves, set our eyes on on him. Then we will be humble. Then we will find the things we hold we'll have with open hands. We'll find ourselves bowing out for the sake of the betterment of the community of the saints. We will find ourselves forgiving. We will find ourselves loving. When Christ is preeminent in our lives, the church will have one mind, will have one soul. Your unity, Midland Free, your fidelity to the gospel, your continual growth in God will complete my joy. But more importantly, it will please and glorify your Lord and Savior. Let us live in a life that glorifies God in all things. That will be a life filled with humility and service, filled with love and care, sympathy and compassion. It will be a life filled of putting to death your own sinful pride for the good of the gospel and the growth of the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, Forgive us because often we put ourselves first, not just above other human beings, but even before you. We think so highly of ourselves. Let us not think that the church is here for our praise, but let us recall and remember that this church is here for your glory, for your honor. And so, Lord, fill us with that spirit that would put to death the selfishness, the, the arrogance, the, the false ambitions that would put to, get, put to death the pride. But instead, it would bring us together, that we would be of one mind, that we would be of the same love. We would find unity and of one accord because we are all about you. May your name be lifted high, exalted above all things. We pray that that would be true of this church. May that be true of our own lives because that's where it starts. We pray this in Jesus' precious name.